You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Okay, so now let's go ahead and start reading. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. I love this. He says, here's the main point. <laughs> he's almost doing the hermeneutics for us. You know, he's, he's breaking it down for us. It's, the main point is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So he says, look, this is the main point. And as I just said a minute ago, I probably should have waited until I read this, but but it's still the part of the argument of that we have the greatest high priest. And, you know, he sits at the right hand of God. You know, when 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 the high priest goes in, would go into the temple or the tabernacle, and he would make the sacrifices, and he did not, he'd go in, do what he had to do, and get out. He certainly wasn't invited to sit down next to God. And the seat of God was on the Ark of the Covenant, you know, and, and, and nobody's invited to sit there with God. And yet here is Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, of the true tabernacle. Now, I will tell you this, uh, this is one of the great mysteries about the book of Hebrews is why the tabernacle? Why doesn't he talk about the temple? You know, because nobody hearing this scripture ever saw this, the tabernacle. That's, that's long before. This is the t- tabernacle is the time of Moses. And here we are, you know, in the first century AD and he's addressing all of this to the tabernacle. So we'll get into that later, but that's, that, that's always been one of the topics of interesting discussion about this. Um, but so anyway, so he says the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere, by a mere human being. You know, wasn't by Moses, wasn't by Aaron, wasn't by Levi or the tribes of Levi or the descendants of Levi. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If the, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. Okay, that's a very powerful statement that this is, this is just a shadow. This is, you know, if, if you're standing in a room and the door's open and you see a shadow appear at the door, you know somebody is coming. The shadow will even tell you, you know, if it's a man or a woman or it'll tell you if it's a little kid, it'll, it'll give you some information, but not much. I mean, you don't know the name, you don't know the social security number, you don't know where they were born, but it, it gives you a general idea of the form, right? Well, that's how this is, this is the whole idea of foreshadowing. So there's many things in the Old Testament that are foreshadowing the reality, what is real. So the tabernacle and the temple foreshadow heaven, you know, approaching. You have the, 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 as in the, in the temple in Jerusalem, you had the court where anybody, the court of the Gentiles, then you had the court of the, of the, the women's court, really, because anybody Jewish could go in there, specifically the women could go in there. And then you had a court where the, only the men could go. And then you have an area where only the priests can go. And then you have the Holy of Holies, which only the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, could go in that room. So, because that's where the Spirit of God resides. So it's levels getting closer and closer to God, right? So, so 
that all of that is just a foreshadowing of us and what we're experiencing now and what and when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down when God establishes his uh well his heaven and we'll get into that later but 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 it, all of this is a foreshadowing of that of the good things to come you know even the law was a foreshadowing there are many many scriptures that foreshadow what was to come there are people that from Moses foreshadowed Jesus we talked about that already. There's a whole list of coincidences between Moses and Jesus, which are not really coincidences at all. They're God planting the seed, you know. So, and, and there's, there's also same thing with Joshua. Um, the same thing with Abraham. You know, all of them also foreshadow what is to come. Twelve tribes, twelve apostles. You know, that, that, that there's, there's always these foreshadows that we can watch for. So we continue, it says, um, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Though he's quoting, you know, that this is what they were supposed to do. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. So he introduces to the idea of this new covenant being better than the other, the old covenant. There's two words for covenant. Covenant is a contract, right? I mentioned that last time. It's a contract between God and us. There's two different kinds of contracts. There's that, in actually in the Greek, there's two, I'm, I'm talking about the Greek, there's two different words, syntheke and diatheke. Syntheke is, is a covenant, like we consider a traditional contract. Two parties sit down, and if this, then that. If you pay me $10, I will give you 10 widgets. And that's our contract. So so how do we fulfill that contract? Well, you give me the $10 and I give you the 10 widgets. That's an agreement. That's a contract. That's a suntheke. But a diatheke is different. That is a contract that I set up that, that I say, if you are my son, then I will give you, it's, it's actually more like, more like a will. It's, it's, it's a little bit closer to a will. Then I will give you this, you know, and, and so when I die, that will goes into effect. You show up, you're my son, you have to prove you're my son, and then you get my house. Okay. That's the diatheke. That's, that's the covenant that was set up was that, that God is giving his people something. They are his people and he gives them something. Okay, and, and, and that is, that is the term that is used. But the interesting thing though is that he says this is a new covenant. Okay, and, and it's, it's something that's brand new. And the word he uses, there's two words for new in Greek. There's, there's neo or neo, right? That's, that's one kind of new. Um, that's something that's, you know, been renewed, refurbished or redone. Um, and then there's kainos or kainos, which is, brand new it's 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 something that that it's better it's the newer model it's think of like being upgraded you know that that i just you know recently got a new laptop it's the newest mac pro it's supposed to be better than my old one right and that old one was supposed to be better than the one i had five years before which is better than so even though yes they're brand new but they're not just brand new they're improved it's a newer better model that's the kind of word he's using here, kainos. It's a better covenant, brand new, much better, better for us. And, and so he says it in verse 6, but in fact, the ministry is, 
is, has received is superior to theirs. The covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. It's established with the death of Jesus. It's established with the blood of Christ. It's established on the cross. It's, it's, it's much better. The old one is established on the blood of goats and rams on the, on the, 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 brought by a man and all it's it's a, it's a foreshadowing basically the the old covenant says for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant no place would have been sought for another so if the first one if if everything was perfectly fine with the old covenant we wouldn't need a new one but there was problem with the old covenant he tells us the problem's not god the problem's not even really the covenant the problem's us he says but god found fault with the people Okay, not with the covenant, the people, and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Okay, and he's quoting Jeremiah, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. Exodus uh, 19. And and we're going to go there because I think there's some things that we need to hit on this when we when we wrap up. When I, when I, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Okay. He's quoting Zechariah. No longer will they teach their neighbors or say one to another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Okay. And he's quoting Isaiah. And it's, it's always interesting to me how, how the authors, um, and Jesus did this, the, the authors in the Bible did this. They would weave together these different scriptures to, to, to make a statement, right? For I will forgive their wickedness and, and will remember their sins no more. Okay, and then this is, and we're already at the end of the chapter, but but we're going to take this last paragraph and really analyze it. Says by calling this covenant new, kainos, he has made the first one obsolete. Okay, Um, and this is a very strong word. Uh, It's uh, palaio in Greek. It's something is old. It's no longer useful. It's no longer needed. Um, it's, it's outdated, um, which is a whole other word, actually, more like expired, um, will soon disappear. Okay. It's going to be gone. It's going to be eradicated. That's a powerful statement. That, that right there is a, is, is a scripture. It's a scripture to know because it means so much. He says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one. Which one? The one with Moses, the law, the agreement, the Ten Commandments, the pact that they would be his people, his holiness. That one, he has made the first one obsolete. It's outdated now. It's no good. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And, and many commentators would note that this was probably written just a few years before the temple would be destroyed. It's almost prophetic. You know, the, the old covenant was based on, 
the law and the priesthood and the sacrifices and all that, when Jesus came, he brought the new covenant. So there is no longer a need for the temple. Remember, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will build it, rebuild it in three days. He's talking about himself. He came, he is the new temple replacing the old one. And, and, and now it says this old one will disappear. It will be gone shortly. Just a few years later, the Romans would come in and destroy that temple. It would be all gone. And, but probably more important for us is what that means about the old law. And this comes up a lot. I, I talked about it a little bit last week. What are we talking about? What's the old law? Well, the old law we get in, we get it handed down in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We get it explained. We get it broken down. Probably one of the best chapters is Leviticus 19. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and go to Leviticus 19. There are many laws. There are many old laws. Um, uh, Leviticus 19 is all about the law. Um, for example, let's look Leviticus 19, uh, 19. 1919. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. If a man sleeps with a female slave who is promised to another man who has not been ransomed to give her freedom, there must be due punishment. Uh, let's go to 23. When you enter the land and plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, you are to not to consider it you are to consider it forbidden. You must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy, all offering and praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will be increased. So if you're following the law, then you plant your fruit trees. You don't get to touch the fruit for four years. Three years, you do nothing with it. It's forbidden fruit. Fourth year, you give it to God. And the fifth year, you get to eat of its fruit. That's the law. So you follow that law. You, you, when you plant your fields, you don't plant with two different kinds of crops, which happens a lot today, but no, you don't do it. Not in the Old Testament. Uh, uh-uh, uh, you do one seed, one kind. Uh, when you make clothes, you don't get two, you know, all our, all our clothes is usually mixture, cotton, rayon, polyester. We have all these blends and stuff. Not if you're Jewish. Uh, uh-uh. uh, you have one kind of material to make everything. Uh, and 26, do not eat any meat with blood still in it. All meat has to be drained of blood. So that juicy, rare steak where the blood just oozes out, uh-uh, you don't do that. It's drained of all blood before you get to touch it. And, and that's, you know, that's what you'll see in restaurants, kosher. That's what kosher means is that it's been properly handled to follow the law. Also, you're not allowed to, to, to mix cream and meat together because the possibility of, of, cooking something in the mother's milk, which is also a law. Um, there are many things that kosher implies. Um, 27, do not cut the hair at the side, um, at the side. Oh, let me, let me back up because that's a good one too. Do not practice divination or seek omens. Hmm. That's a law. Don't go to a tarot reader. Don't go to a horoscope. Look at horoscopes. Don't be looking at the stars to find out what's going to happen. Don't be, don't be looking for omens and, and looking up YouTube and what's, when's the world going to end and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's forbidden. Do not cut the hair of the sides of your head. You, know, you can't shave this. You need to, or clip off the edges of your beard. I just trimmed my little brand new beard here. I wouldn't be allowed to do that if I was living under the law. 
right? Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Okay, these are all the Levitical laws. Verse 30, observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. The Sabbath, no work. No work on the Sabbath. When's the Sabbath? Sabbath is Saturday. Okay, no work on the Saturday. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Verse 32, stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Okay, those are all the laws. Now, is there anything wrong with those laws? No, no. But we're not under the law. And and this is important because a lot of churches get this confused. A lot of Christians get this confused. Um, it's all, it's always funny to me because, you know, I, I, especially when I see that there's certain denominations that they really mix this up. They hold to some of the laws. They disregard other laws. And, and it's just hilarious to me because I'll be talking to them. And especially, I always test people with these tattoos and I'm not, I am not pro tattoo. Okay. This was something I did to, for, for my son and I on his 17th birthday, we went out and got faith and love put on our arms. And that was a father son thing. Okay. Now, was I worried that I was going to make God angry? No, of course not, because I'm not under the law. I'm free of the law. In fact, um, uh, well, we'll read this, but, but if the Bible says, if you're going to follow the law, you have to follow all the law, not just part of the law, all the law, do some of it or do all of it. But don't pretend you're following the law and only be doing some of it because that's going to get you in trouble too. So we have to be people that either live under the law or have been set free of the law. Thanks be to God, Jesus set us free of the law. But now that, now that doesn't mean that all the laws are useless. They, they had their place. They had their time. Uh, right here in chapter 19, verse 37, he says, keep all my decrees and all my laws and follow them. I am the Lord. Okay. So just because, um, just because, you know, we like some of those laws and, and we believe in them. Some of those laws have become part of our culture for years. You know, Christians, there are entire churches that won't do anything on the Sabbath and they follow some of the laws, you know, but they don't follow all of them. Uh, they're cutting the sides of their hair. They're, they're trimming their beards. They're, they're doing stuff that, you know, the law says you should be circumcised, right? That you have to be circumcised to be one of God's people. So, you know, if you're not circumcised, then you need to get out there and get circumcised, guys. Um, if you're going to live under the law. So let's, let's go to Galatians. We'll see what Paul has to say about this, about Christians living under the law and still following these laws um chapter three of galatians it says and this is this is a tough one because (laughs) clearly paul is not happy paul remember was an expert in the law he was a pharisee trained in the law observed the law zealous for the law jesus comes along converts him to christianity he becomes a minister of the new covenant he understands the old covenant, gone, obsolete. But then there are Jews in the church. There were some Jews in the church who were trying to get the, excuse me, trying to get the Christians to go backwards and follow the law. And they were teaching brothers that you have to be circumcised if you're going to go to heaven, that you have to follow, you know, certain kosher laws and observe 
the the holy days of the Jews, the you know, Yom Kippur and and well all of them. And 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 he, so this is what Paul says to them: "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you: Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard?" Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does the Lord give you his spirit? Excuse me. Um, I'm going to jump down to verse 10. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. And nobody could quote the Old Testament like Paul, man. He could quote it. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law, of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Okay, so we are saved by faith. We are, we are, Contracted by the Holy Spirit. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. None of that has anything to do with the law. <laughs> That's all from God. He says the law is not based on faith. On contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What was the curse of the law? The curse of the law is nobody fulfills all of it. You know, at best, some people fulfill some of it, but nobody fulfills all of it. And it's hilarious. I shouldn't say hilarious. That's sarcastic, but... But it's remarkable how many people are hard line about some of the law and yet completely violating other parts of the law. You know, the law says that if your parents weren't born, then you are not allowed to be in the assembly of God. You can't be with God's people worshiping. Not if you're illegitimate. If your mom and dad weren't married, then you are illegitimate and you have no business being at church. If we were following the law. Thank God we are not following the law. We have been set free of the law. We are free of that. Cursed, he says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I mean, Christ was, Jesus took the curse of the law and wore it by being nailed to the cross. He says, he redeemed us in order that blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I mean, he talks about it all through the book of Galatians. I'm going to close out reading in, in, in chapter 5. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the law. Don't go getting legalistic again and and... And trying to impose all these laws in the, in the Old Testament. And, and honestly, one of the biggest problems is because people don't know their Bibles. When they're told things, they don't know if it's the law or it's the New Testament. They, they don't even know if it's Old Testament or not. You know, and, and I mean, I mean, a lot of church, churches teaches, that means ministers are up there behind their pulpits teaching the law. The very thing we were set free. They're supposed to be ministers of the gospel preaching freedom in Christ and they're preaching laws. You know, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. 
According to what? And they're quoting Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and, and as though they were the law. And they are not the law. The law was made what? Obsolete. That means it no longer binding. It's no longer in effect. Nyet, cero, nada. It doesn't imply, it doesn't apply to us anymore. Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, because that's what some of these guys were teaching, that they had to be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declared it to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. That's a, that's a powerful thing, to fall away from grace. See, we're saved by grace. You fall away from grace. What does that mean? It means you've fallen back into trying to be righteous by observing the law. Do and do not. Do and do not. And you're trying to show your righteousness by doing and not doing. Instead of trusting in God's grace. And you might say, well, well, does that mean we can just go sin up a storm? No, no. Because what is the fulfillment of the law? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're not going to want to sin. You're going to hate sin. Does it mean you're not tempted anymore? No, you're still tempted, but you hate it. And you stand against it. Does it mean you don't fall sometimes? No, you do fall sometimes, but you hate that. And you get up and you dust yourself off and you confess your sins and repent. And you keep going because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what he was saying. That it will be a law that is written on their hearts. Love. And he says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. See, it doesn't matter whether you follow the law or not. He's using circumcision as a symbolic of the law. But that applies to all of them. That applies to all those rules. Doesn't matter whether you cut the hair on the side of your heads or not. Doesn't matter if your shirt's as woven of different blends. It doesn't matter if you have two tattoos or not, or pierce your ears or, or, or your nose or whatever. Those aren't the things that matter. What matters is where's your heart? Where is your heart at? Do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? That's what matters. And that's what will dictate what we do and don't do. That is the greatest law. That is the fulfillment of the law. Rather than micromanaging the people. Now, when that, now was there a time and a need for that? Yes, absolutely. People had to learn what righteousness and sin was for. What, what they are, I mean. And the law helped people understand righteousness and sin. But the fulfillment of the law is you stay away from sin because you don't want to sin. Not because you're afraid of being judged and condemned for it or stoned by the people for it. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. You know, that the point he's making is don't even, don't even follow a little bit of the law. It will work through your whole heart and you'll become legalistic. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, however that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, 
I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. I mean, this is, Paul is livid here. He is, he is, he is livid. He's so mad. He's like, why are you guys doing this? Why are you going back to the law and trying to impose these rules and regulations and, and prove your righteousness by following these rules and regulations? He, and he says, he says, the whoever's teaching this, God's going to deal with them. And whoever's running out and getting circumcised, he says, I wish they'd go all the way and get the, get, get themselves castrated. I mean, that's what he says. I mean, this is a, this is Paul upset. And, 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 and for all I know, you know, for all we know, this is the Holy Spirit angry too, because he wrote this. He had this recorded, right? And you, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. Verse 13, I'm reading. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. He said, look, we're free of the law. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go out and sin. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. He says, look at, I mean, you remember when the, the, the guy said, what, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love each other. Now Paul talks to the other one. You know, the fulfillment of the law is love each other. Help each other. Be there for one another. If I do something that caused my brother sin, don't do it. You know, if I, if, 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 if I'm in, why, why would I want to do anything to hurt my brothers and sisters? Right? I mean, that we need to be conscious of each other and care for each other, not sitting here judging one another. So, he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and it will, and you will gratify the desires of the flesh. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. He says, look, if you are walking by the spirit, if you're sowing to the spirit of God, you're not even going to want to sin. You're going to hate sin. You're going to do everything you can to get out of sin. If you're walking by the flesh, if you're ignoring the spirit of God, yeah, you're going to want to go back to your sin. And that, and he's addressing the people who say, well, but if we don't have the laws, then people will just go crazy and go sin up a storm. People and could that happen? Yes, it could happen. Does that happen? Yeah, it actually does happen. I've I've seen it. I mean, there were groups that were teaching people to go and be immoral so you could show that you were confident in grace instead of in the law. That was stupid. That's the other extreme. How incredibly stupid is that? No, if you are if you love God, you're going to hate sin, and if you walk in the Spirit, you're going to want nothing to do with sin. You're going to want to do what's right, and so it's what we want. Ultimately, what we do is what we really, really want to do. That's what we do. Our actions tell us everything about our hearts and where our hearts are at. Again, that doesn't mean that if you fall into sin, oh, you got a bad heart. No, it just means if if the question is, did you sneak into sin or did you fall into sin? Are you, are you planning to sin or, 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 or is it something you are planning to avoid at all costs? And I'll tell you this, anyone who sets their heart on God to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, anyone who sets their eyes on the word of God and sows to the spirit and tries to be a spiritual person is going to be led by the spirit of God and not want to sin, want nothing to do with sin. Does it mean they'll be perfect? No. Does it mean they'll be completely sinless? No. But that's why we depend on the spirit of God's grace. And God's throne is a throne of grace. See, see, he says, 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not, so, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, so, so we're free, we're free. And, you know, somebody once said that, you know, the spirit, there's two spirits in you. There's, there's your sinful spirit and there's the spirit of God. And it's like two dogs. Whichever one you feed is going to grow stronger and devour the other and beat up the other. So if you feed the spirit dog, that's what you're going to be full of. You're going to be full of it in a good way. The spirit of God. But if you feed the flesh dog and you do what your body wants and what you crave and what you lust after, then that's going to grow strong and it's going to quench the spirit dog. It's going to immobilize it and you'll do everything that your flesh desires to do. So you see the difference. The law, obedience, just, you know, white knuckling it, do what's right and you better obey all of it. And the fact is, you're not really obeying all of it. You may obey even a lot of it, but you're not going to really do all of it. Spirit of God, love for God, the new covenant. We love God. We devote ourselves to him. We, it fills our heart with a desire to do what's right, to, to live a righteous life. And, and we want to please God. So we, we hate sin. We avoid it. Uh, the, the, we fill ourselves with the spirit of God. We sow to the Spirit. The Spirit is strong in us, helping us to desire what's right, to reject sin and evil. Do we, we fall sometimes, but we quickly repent, get up, shake the dust off. We confess and we keep moving forward. Huge difference. This one, the law, everybody fails. Nobody's saved. This one, the Spirit of God, faith, grace, everybody makes it that walks with Jesus. All you got to do is stay with Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Steep, keep following him. So that's the end of it. Um, that's, that's the end of the chapter, but you see what I wanted to cover because there really is a lot of confusion out there and it's important that we understand the difference between living by the law and living by the spirit. And every once in a while somebody asks, you know, well, how come that church, you know, they, they, they don't do anything on Saturdays or, or, or whatever, you know, they, I don't know. The different groups had different things. None of their people get tattoos. Well, you got your people have tattoos. They're going to hell. You know, well, they don't, again, they're, they're trying to follow some of the law. They're not going to make it. You, nobody gets saved through the law. It's through the spirit of God and his grace and his mercy and his kindness. That law, it's obsolete. It's gone. I mean, imagine, you know, when I was driving to go see, when Michelle and I were driving to go see our daughter. You know, the speed limit around here is 55 miles an hour on the freeway. 55. And you drive in Texas, one of the cool things is the speed limit is 80 out there on the highway. What if I was still going 55? Wouldn't that be kind of stupid? Driving across the desert going 55. What for? Man, 80. Come on, baby. 80 miles an hour. I'd go much faster. Or what if... When I used to live in Nevada, for those big stretches, there was no speed limit. You get to go as fast as you want, but you're still going 50 miles an hour. How crazy that would be, how silly that would be, right? Well, we've been free to do what's best, to do what's, what, what, what helps the most, to do what pleases the Lord, to, to, to shine, to be like Jesus, to be examples of righteousness in whatever way that means, to have an impact. 
You know, when Jesus was walking through the fields with his apostles and they were hungry and they started to pick the wheat. And this is, uh, I believe, Matthew chapter 12. And the Pharisees looked at him and, and they criticized him. And, and they were like, you know, you're, why are you breaking the law on the Sabbath? You know, and, and he said, the one who is with you is greater than the law, which is a very interesting argument that Jesus is the one person who is above the law. He gave the law. He is the law, right? But he was bringing in a new covenant. Now, strictly, strictly speaking, the law was no work. The Jews define picking wheat as work. So strictly speaking, he did not break the law. But he broke the law as they understood it, which was the oral law, that you do not pick wheat. And and that, that again is where Jesus criticized them for imposing laws that they created and calling them God's laws when they didn't. And that's kind of the definition of legalism, is when you impose your thinking on somebody and make act as though that were God's law instead of just going to the scriptures. This is why we have to rely on the Bible. And this is why I appreciate all of you who are watching this, that you are trying to learn, to grow, to advance in your knowledge and in your understanding of God. There's nothing greater, nothing more important. We'll end there. And next class, Hebrews chapter 9. See you then. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 